That, that song, and, and I think in a little while, we're going to have to sing that again, John. That, that, was, that was fantastic, but it has First Peter written all over it. I mean, it really does, and, and as we get into First uh, Peter, you'll, you'll see that. You'll see it in every line, every word, and the phrase, and, and uh, anyway, so as we begin uh, our series, we did last week, we jumped ahead a few verses, but we're going to go back to verses 1 and 2, and as we call our series in First Peter, Living Differently in Difficult Days, and certainly uh, that song that we just sang started out, Is Our World Broken? It is, huh? Uh, and, and the needs are great, absolutely, they are. And so as we look at living differently in difficult days, I hope as you uh, work through this with us, and not just on Sunday morning, but during the week, I would encourage you uh, to read through, make it a goal of yours, to read through the letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, at least once a week in one sitting. In other words, don't read chapter 1 tomorrow morning and chapter 2. You can do that, but that'd be great. But I would encourage you to read through all five chapters in one sitting. It's a, it's a short book. I think it's a total of 105 verses, something like that. And so I'd encourage you, just because it will familiarize you with the letter, and you'll see it as a whole, not just as a slot here, a slot here, a couple of verses here, and so forth, but you see it as a big picture because it all goes together. It is a letter, and, and it was written because of needs, of, uh, as an occasion. We call it an occasional letter, not every once in a while occasional, but based on an occasion, a specific incident or incidents or needs that Peter saw amongst the believers in numerous areas throughout Asia Minor to whom he was writing. And so it's great to read it all together, get the big picture, just like if you wrote a letter. Uh, it, it, it all flows together. And it's important that we get the whole flow, not just a little section here and there at a time. So that would be my encouragement to you. So my question as we begin, so what does God want me to know from Peter's letter? I, I put that down on, on, on my notes, and, and I put it on the PowerPoint or had it on this PowerPoint slide, and, and I thought, what does God want us to know? And then I, I, I thought, now, nah, what does God want you to know? And yesterday morning, I was looking at my, and I thought, you know what, I, what does God want me to know? Because that's really uh, I want to learn some things. I want to grow. What does God want me to know? And so I want to speak to you out of the Word of God. And, and as we work through this, through now till the rest of the summer, and, and Scott and, and Mitch will be involved here and there preaching too. And what does God want me to know? I want to learn and I want to grow in this whole thing. And, and, and yet you might be asking, well, what does 1 Peter or Peter's letter to first century believers have to do with you? All right? I mean, really? Peter's writing based on uh, some different issues, an occasion that he was writing about or, or different ideas that he had. And we're going to identify some of those today. How does that apply to you and I today in 2023, when he wrote this back in 64, 65. Really? Things are a lot different, right? 
Well, we're going to see, I hope, over the course of time as we write through that. Peter's writing about some foundational truths uh, that believers of all ages, whether it's 64, 65, or 2023, believers of all ages need to know if we are going to live differently in these difficult, dark days. And it is important that we grab hold of that. And so as we begin to identify some of those issues that Peter was writing about, salvation, Peter begins right off the bat with that whole business of salvation. We'll jump into that in just a little bit. We looked at that last week. And of course, when you're talking about salvation, you cannot separate that from Jesus Christ. That is critical. Jesus Christ, we want to lift up. We want all that we do to be centered on Christ. And so Jesus Christ is there. But we're also going to see the sovereignty of God is an issue that Peter addresses. It's right there, loud and clear. Sometimes not as loud because it's always behind everything in our lives. And we sometimes don't acknowledge the sovereignty of God unless God does something really, really good to our benefit or unless something really bad happens that we can't explain and we don't like, and we, well, must God's sovereign, right? Romans 8, 28. And, and so we look, but it's there. Um, and, and then Paul, or Peter talks about the foreigners and exiles. He is addressing foreigners and exiles. Believers, yes, scattered throughout Asia Minor, common or modern-day Turkey. But he talks about that. We'll refer to that. Uh, and because we are God's chosen people, we will suffer. He talks about suffering. Peter's big on suffering. And he's, that is obviously an occasion for which he was writing because that was happening to the believers to whom he was writing. And they will suffer. Believers will be oppressed. They were being oppressed by the world and the culture and the society around us. And it's happening today worldwide. We may not feel it as much here in the United States, but it's coming. And we want to be very careful not to identify or define suffering in a way that would insult believers who are around the world who are really suffering. Like to say, well, I prayed for my lunch and somebody laughed at me. Oh. You know, that's not suffering, folks. Um... But because we are the people of God, we are to live differently in this suffering and in the midst of the oppression because we are different. And Peter says we are to submit. That's part of the behavior that ought to be different about us. We need to submit, and we're going to talk about that. But wait a minute. So you're saying, Glenn, we're foreigners and exiles. Peter talks about that, that we will suffer because of what we believe about Jesus. That's it, that yes, we will. Um, and living differently means we have to submit to every human authority. Well, that's what Peter talks about. And obey what God says, absolutely. Is anyone struggling with thinking about how to do that? I mean, you look at these words up on the screen already, and as we go through the Word of God, you say, man, Peter, you're expecting a lot. Well, it's not really Peter because it's the Word of God, and it's what God is expecting of us. And if anyone is thinking that living these truths sounds hard, it does, and it is, and it will be hard. And yet, how do we live differently? Well, you'll see it throughout. In fact, it's in every chapter 
And you'll have to look, but it's there. And Peter says, because of God's grace and his coming glory, we can live differently. It is only by the grace of God that we can live as God intends us to live, as Peter's talking about in this different, difficult, dark day. And we can live differently. And because we are believers who are different, we must learn to live. We must determine that we will live differently. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have one to hold, to read, to follow underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible there in that Bible, page 850. Page 850 in your phone, tablet, or your copy of the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 as we begin. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. You, you follow along with me. I'll have... Again, verses on the screen, and uh, you write them down. Listen, let me encourage you through this study. If you're not in the habit of taking notes, I'd encourage you to do that. If you're not in the habit of underlining or circling or drawing arrows or writing notes in your Bible, do that, please. First Peter, mine, I keep thinking, man, I I need a new Bible. Uh, You know, it's like, whoa, okay, but, but mark it up, folks. And get yourself some kind of a journal that you can take notes because there's a, you, you want to grab hold of these truths and live them in your life. So please do that. Feel free. Uh, write things down. And if you've got a tablet or a phone, there are apps you can get to help you mark it up even that way. All right. So here we go. Verse 1, 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have chosen, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. People, listen, I gotta tell you, there's a good three or four messages right here. So, we're not going anywhere for a while. Yeah, no, don't worry. We have Heritage Institute at 11 o'clock, and, and you'll be able to get there and get some coffee in between, so you'll be good. But, but there it is. Peter introduces us to the concept of salvation. We begin with salvation, and God's sovereignty is mixed right in that whole salvation because he identifies himself, Peter, tells who he is, who's he writing to, but in that who he's writing to, God's elect. That's about salvation. That's about who God chose. God's elect. God, we, we, election is a, a biblical word that just scares the bejeebers out of people sometimes. Because, I, I mean, I've had people say, well, election's not really in the Bible. It's just some man-made theological idea, baloney. Amen. Here it is right here, folks. God's elect, all right? God's chosen people. And as we're going to work, our, we're gonna, it's not the only place you'll see that reference to God's chosen people. But to God's elect, verse 2, who have been chosen. Say, so wait a minute. You mean God chose me and my salvation? You mean I didn't have anything to do with it? I didn't say that, and Peter's not saying that. 
He says, yes, we have to, we know in Scripture, we must believe. That's what we have to do with it. We must believe. Now, there are issues along the way that you can ask all kinds of questions and not come up with an answer that you like, and it's a, but you got to believe. Yes, God chose. God elected, God chose, and we must believe. Yes. All right? That's where we're going to go. And it's significant that you understand. We'll keep talking about that. But as he says, to God's elect who have been chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The sovereignty of God. God knew. God chose. And don't get hung up in that foreknowledge is something knowing ahead of time. Some people look at that and they go, oh, oh, I see. So God looked down through the, as we say typically, the corridors of time and saw who would be saved and elected them. No, that's not the way it works. The foreknowledge here has more to do with he established a loving relationship. The word no it's the same word that we read in Genesis. Adam knew his wife Eve, and they had a baby. All right? That's the word. God established a relationship. He knew. He foreknew us who would be saved. He didn't choose us based upon what, what we would do or how we would respond. Otherwise, that would be works. And that's not how salvation comes. So as we talk about this, he elect according to the foreknowledge of God, our Father established a loving relationship with us and chose us for salvation long before we knew anything about it. Jeremiah 1 talks about that. That would be a place right down and you'll check it out, all right? But he said also through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the initial work of salvation, the Spirit of God works and moves, bring conviction of sin in our lives, causes us to see our need of Jesus Christ, and He regenerates us. He saves us. That's what we talked about a little bit. If you were here with us last Easter Sunday, last week, we talked about sanctification, the threefold work of sanctification, which has to do with our salvation. We are saved positionally. We are sanctified. We become, at a point in time when we believe, we become forgiven. We're saved. We're sanctified. We're set apart to God in our position. No longer an enemy, but now a child of God. Then he goes on in that, and, and that work continues on. The hard work of spiritual growth. The hard work of progressing in becoming more holy. We're going to see that. Becoming holy as God is holy. Is spiritual growth. Is progressive sanctification. We become more like Jesus as we grow. As we're more set apart to God. Until ultimately we're saved. And we saw that. We talked about we'll be like Jesus. Because we'll see him as he is. Ultimately completely saved perfectly saved and then we're saved to be obedient to jesus christ and sprinkled with his blood we are saved to live obediently folks salvation isn't a golden ticket or fire escape from hell oh yes that's not what it's about primarily that is an outcome you have to be saved. You have to be forgiven if you want to spend eternity with god in heaven if you don't want to end up forever in hell. But that's not why we get saved. We get saved because we're not right with God. 
And that's the ultimate issue. We need our sin forgiven. We need to become right with God. And the only way we can do it is because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He died on the cross. We celebrated that a week ago Friday night. And he rose again from the dead. We celebrated that a week ago today. The resurrection. Jesus Christ saved us, sprinkled us with his blood. And because of that, we are saved and we are to be obedient to him. Now, God's son, Jesus, is the foundation of our salvation. We, we, we jumped into salvation, the sovereignty of God. God's in charge of all things. God has a plan. We look around the dark, difficult, evil world in which we live and we sometimes get scared. People are living with no hope. People are living with all kinds of fear. People are living in tons of uncertainty. Have no idea what's coming next. And yet, God has it all planned. Folks, we may not like what's going to happen. We may not know what's going to happen on this earth and before Jesus comes. But I'm going to tell you this. It's not a surprise to God. Because he's got it all planned. It's all worked out according to his plan. Verses 3 to 5, we looked at last week, and I'm not going to take the time to go through that, but there it is in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus Christ, the center of it all. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. We said that's salvation. That means to be born again. Amen. Salvation, that's what Peter's talking about. And that came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pointed out last week during Easter Sunday, we said this, listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we all should just pack it up, go home, we'll refund your money, we'll close up the bank account, we'll close this building, there's no point in us being here. Right? There's just no point. But that's not what happened. Jesus did rise from the dead which means everything that he said was true, would be true, will be true because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at verse 18, 1 Peter chapter 1. By the way, folks, today we are only going to be in this letter, 1 Peter. We're not going to be anywhere else. So just a few pages back and forth, all right? You don't have to be putting bookmarks or fingers or anything else all over the place. We're just going to be in 1 Peter. And so there in verse 18, 1 Peter 1.18, we read this. We read, uh, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life uh, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen, there's chosen again, God chose his son Jesus for our salvation, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was born. We celebrate that at Christmas. He was born to die for your sake, for my sake, so our sin could be forgiven. Huh? Come on, Folks, this stuff is amazing stuff. Amen. And so, uh, man, it's there. You look at it. So salvation, we're talking about that. But he goes on. And this may be a little confusing because Peter talks about exiles and foreigners. That was one of the topics we put up at the very beginning that, that, that we're going to see throughout Peter's letter. Exiles and foreigners. Depending on your translation, you may see strangers. You may see the word alien. 
All referring, that's the same thing. Exiles and foreigners, sojourners. In other words, we are on this earth temporarily. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday. We talked about sometimes we hold on too tightly to the stuff of this world. Our, our stuff. I don't know how else to say it. Sometimes relationships. Relationships are great. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But the most important relationship that you could ever have is with Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way our sin can be forgiven. Exiles and foreigners. Look at verse 1. Peter's writing and he says... Uh, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor. Now, he lists them specifically, but exiles scattered. He's referring to Jews who have been dispersed, scattered out from Israel, from their homeland, from their country. But he's also talking about Gentile believers. Uh, in verse 17, um, uh, we, the, the New American Standard version says those who reside as strangers. See, strangers on this world. And, and verse 17 again, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. For, why, are we call, why are we referred to that way? Peter's talking about those who've been elected. Those who have been chosen for salvation. Aliens, strangers, exiles, sojourners. Why? Because we are only here on this earth temporarily. And I'm not just talking about life and death. Yes, people that have already died and gone on to heaven, they're gone. They're no longer on this earth. Yes, but we still are. And one day, we will be in our home in heaven. In other words, Paul said it differently in Philippians, but he said, our citizenship is in heaven. That's what Peter's talking about here. Spiritually speaking, our home is heaven. Our citizenship and our residence on earth is temporary. Our home is waiting for us one day in heaven. And that makes a difference, folks. Peter's talking that way because the, the believers are dealing with suffering. And uh, I'll get to that in just a minute, but... He needs, he's, he's trying to help us recognize this world doesn't have anything to offer us. We sometimes think that it does. We sometimes put way too much weight and energy and time in what this world has for us. This world is not our home. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4. And Peter says this as he's talking about Unbelievers. He calls them pagans, those who don't have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, they, the pagans, are surprised that you, he's talking to you as believers, he's talking to the believers he's writing to, are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. He's saying, this isn't your home. And you're going to be put down. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be oppressed. You're going to suffer as a believer because you are not on in your home. You are in exile. You are a stranger on this earth. And you don't live like the unsaved do. That's the expectation. Now, sometimes we do, right? Sometimes it's hard to tell who's who. That's not what, that's why Peter says, hey, we're strangers on this earth. We're, 
But if we look like we're too comfortable and too at home here, we've missed the boat. Suffering. You see, we're different as believers. We don't fit in the mold of this world. And as a result of that, we're going to suffer. That's what Peter is saying. Suffering is a normal outcome of living differently for Christ. A normal outcome. That's what Peter's saying. He's talking about that. Look back to chapter 1 and verse 6. Chapter 1 and verse 6. He starts out, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice. In all what? Well, the salvation that was talked about in verses 3, 4, and 5. See, that's what I mean. You've got to read it all together. So he's saying, In that we greatly rejoice. Though, now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Suffering will come for a believer. He's saying it was for the believers to whom Peter was right. For a little while, you're going to have to suffer grief. And we'll see that that suffering is because of what they stood for in their faith in Jesus Christ. Look down to chapter 4 and verse 12. Chapter 4 and verse 12. And here's what Peter continues to say about suffering. Dear friends, do not be surprised at, look what he calls suffering, the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Whoa. Fiery ordeal? That sounds more like hell than life on earth. That's the suffering. Talk to believers in China or in India or in the Middle East, in Iran, Iraq, where tons of people are coming to Christ, really coming to Christ, and, and, and see what they know about suffering. And as he goes on, he says, to te- as though something strange were happening to you. Folks, suffering is not something we haven't done anything wrong. Remember when, when the Peter, the, Jesus' disciples, there was a blind man, and they said to him, hey, so who sinned, this, this man's father or mother? Well, why? Because many times people thought that sin, that difficult times were a result of sin in somebody's life. And we sometimes conclude that if life gets hard and we suffer, that there must be sin. No, that's not what we're talking about. That's why he says, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Because suffering is part of the life of a believer. Look down to verse 19, chapter 4. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Those who suffer according to God's will. Listen, it is when you suffer that is part of God's plan, his will for your life as a believer. And we'll talk about that because Peter says don't suffer because you deserve it, because you did something wrong. Suffer because you love God. So then the living differently. When we suffer, and understand Paul's challenges make it sound even more difficult to live differently because living differently is in the middle of the suffering. Because you see, when life gets hard and we start to suffer, we sometimes want to give up. We sometimes feel like we're justified in, "Mm, Lord, you really don't expect me to do that and obey you here. I mean, life is really hard now. You really want me to do that still? 
Well, that's what we're talking about. We still need to live differently. And Peter's challenges always in living differently are in the midst of suffering. That's why at the end of verse 19, 1 Peter 4, he says, and continue to do good. Continue to serve God, to continue to be actively involved in his work, continue to actively involved in fulfilling his plan, continue to actively be involved in the sanctification where we become more like Jesus. But the living differently than we've been saved. We, we talked about the salvation and the book is full of it. We've been saved. We've been changed. Our lives are different. As a result, we are to live differently. We are to live like we are different because we are. Don't ever try to become like everybody else so you can fit in. Because if you know Jesus, you're different. And we need to live that way. And that's what Peter's talking about throughout. Look back to verse 2. We, we mentioned this already, but I want to repeat it again. Underline it, circle it, however you want to do it. But verse 2, after he get who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Look, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And when we're obedient to Christ, we're, we look different. Peter's disciples in John chapter 15 came and said, Lord, it's getting hard. And he said, listen, if they hated you, they're going to, if they hated you, it's because they hated me first. Amen. That's the way it will be. And it's not going to get better. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1, 1 Peter. Peter says, as obedient children, just laid the foundation for that in verse 2. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Before you knew Jesus is what he means. While you were still a pagan. Don't live the same way. Verse 15. How do you live differently? But just as he who called you is holy, he who chose you, who, who elected you, who you, got, who you believed in to be saved, just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. Huh? Be holy. Be holy. We talk about more people, more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus, we will be more holy. We will be getting holy. That's the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And one of the ways in which we live differently is by submitting. Submission is here in 1 Peter. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 13. Here's what Peter says. I'm going to go right down the, uh, chapter 2 and into verse, chapter 3. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Submit yourselves to every human authority. Now we're going to dig into these texts as we get through the letter, but let me just say right here and now, the only, the only exception to that is when that means we disobey God. And if the authorities, the human authorities that God has placed over us 
ask us to do something that is in violation of the truths of the word of God, we, we don't have to obey. Peter and John told the Sanhedrin that in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Remember? Hey, I don't know what you guys are going to do, Peter said, but as for us, we got to obey God rather than man. So that's it. We'll talk more about that. Look down to verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. This is not the kind of slavery that we hate today. This is not people owning people. That's not what he means. These people, yes, slavery here, even free people chose to be slaves because that's how they worked and made money. What's he saying? He's saying, I think, and we'll get more into this, he's saying, work for your employer as if God were right there. That's as he talks about. In reverent fear of God, submit to your masters. Look down to chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Say, wow, I thought that was only in Ephesians 5. Well, here it is. 1 Peter chapter 3. I tell you what. I tell every couple that I have the opportunity to marry and do counseling ahead of time, I tell, I tell the wife-to-be right up front, listen, this is one of the most amazing promises and commands that you could ever want as a, as a wife is to be told to submit to your husband. In our culture, that doesn't sound real good, does it? I mean, we hear about that all the time. Are you kidding me? I'm not submitting to my husband. Who, we're equal. What are you talking about? Now, you see, any woman, any woman who wants a home the way God designed it to be is going to do that. Why? Because, on the other hand, it tells the husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church. There's no woman in her right mind who wouldn't want a husband who loves his wife like Christ loved the church. Men, do you know who our model is? Whew. that's a tough one. Be like Jesus. We, we, we got to go on. We'll, we'll dig into this as we go through this. You see, when we talk about this business of submission, we, put, we have to put ourselves under the authority of those whom God has placed over us. And we do it willingly. We do it obediently. We do it so that people will see there's something different. You see, verse 15, verse 15 says this. Um, he says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. God's will in the context is to submit. Let's go on. You say again, we talked back at the beginning, how do we do this? this all of this stuff just all piled together. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm not sure I want to. I think I'll go somewhere else for a month or two while you're in First Peter because this looks hard. This is hard stuff. It is except, except for the grace of God, right? The grace of God. Look back to chapter 1 and verse 2. Look how the very last sentence of chapter of, of verse 2, or the very last phrase of verse 2. Peter says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace in abundance. Why? Because we will need the abundant grace of God to do what Peter's talking about. Amen. 
to live differently requires the grace of God. You see, the grace of God is God's ability, God's energy. God's giving us all that we need to do what he's asked us to do. The grace of God saves us, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. The grace of God grows us. The grace of God gets us through difficult times. Well, look at the grace of God in the life of Paul when he had a physical thorn in the flesh. And he prayed three times to God. And we've said this before, but if there's anybody who you believed would, be, would get their prayers answered if they prayed, it had to be Paul. Right? Who would ever think that God wouldn't answer Paul's prayer? But Paul says, but God said no. Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. You see, it is God's grace that gets us through the living differently in the difficult, dark days in which we live. God's grace. Look down to the last chapter of 1 Peter, chapter 5. As Peter's wrapping things up, he's getting to this point, and he gets to verse 10. And he says, brothers and sisters, again, remember, he's writing to believers, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke, excuse me, I'm reading James 5. <laughs> I'm waiting a minute, like, you know, that's one of the situations where sometimes you just, I, I know it'll, I don't recognize that, but I know it'll come if I keep reading. <laughs> no, it won't work that way. Because it's always going to be James 5. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. And the God of all grace. And again, Peter is writing to believers. And the God of all grace. Who called you? There's election again. To his eternal glory in Christ. There's Christ centered again. After you have suffered a little while. There's suffering again. You see the themes? It's all here in one, one verse. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast? To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The way we are able to live differently in these difficult, dark days is because of the grace of God. Folks, that's how we can do it. That's why Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. We quote that all the time, right? Well, it sounds like, like a great thing to say, real humility, I am what I am. Well, that's true, but then let's apply it all the time. Like when we're in hard times, it's not we don't give up. We say, I am what I am by the grace of God, and I can do this because I've gotten this far, and I can continue to get it only by the grace of God. Paul said, God said no, but he said, my grace is sufficient. Therefore, I'll rejoice in the hard times. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's how Peter wraps it up here with the grace of God. Look down to verse 12. With the help of Silas, some translations may have Sylvanus, same thing. Whom I regard as a faithful brother. Silas helped Peter write this. I have written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Amen. There it is. 
we will only be able to stand in the grace of God. So what now? How should you then live? Years ago, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called How Should You Then Live? Because of who we are. How should we then live? Well, so many verses that could be theme verses throughout, but I think this is crucial. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Look at this. God's special possession. Wow. Really? God's special possession. He chose us. We are his. I have a lot of special possessions. I think you do too. He goes on. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Is that not amazing? He says, here's who you are. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. All of that so that you can declare the praises of God who saved you, who dragged you out of the darkness and brought you into his wonderful light. Woohoo! Hallelujah, folks. Come on. Glory. I, folks, I, we ought to get fired up. But we just, yeah, I'm a Christian. Man, 2023 is kind of hard. A little harder than 2022. Well, at least we don't have COVID anymore. But And then he goes on to verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are different. So what if? So what if? I've got four statements and write them down or think about them based upon what we've talked about and we'll not just mention them here. We'll, we'll refer to what if. First of all, what if you memorize two or three verses in each chapter of First Peter over the next four months? Are you in habit of memorizing scripture? I hope so. I know some of you are. I know our kids do in Awana. Oh, that's a, that's a kid thing, right? I mean, honestly, the way we act, it seems like that's what we believe. It's just a kid thing. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but in your own heart and mind, you answer the question, are you memorizing scripture as an adult? What if you memorize two or three verses in each chapter of 1 Peter over the next four months? Because that's how long we'll be in 1 Peter through the end of August. Secondly, what if your family determined, your family determined that each of you were going to be holy in all you do? Chapter 1, verse 15. What if you all decided as a family, you know what? We're going to be holy because God is holy. In everything we do, we're going to be holy. We're going to be set apart to God. 
We're going to be holy. We're going to let it. We're going to be more like Jesus. What if your family started to do that? What if, number three, you decided that you would live differently? We've talked about that in a lot of different ways we, we didn't even begin to cover today. But what if you decided that you would live differently and as a result of your living differently, our church looked so different that people couldn't help but ask about the reason for the hope that we have. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. What if? We live so differently that people had to ask, would you give me a reason for the hope that you have? So I see it in you. Something's different. Even in the midst of suffering, something's different. Or lastly, what if you chose to, like newborn babies, comma, pause, just like newborn babies, chapter 2, verse 2, just like newborn babies, comma, crave pure spiritual milk. You see, the reason I put that comma is there because sometimes people read that verse through and go, um, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, like babies crave spiritual milk. No, it's like babies, just like newborn babies, comma, you crave spiritual milk. What's he talking about? How about if we crave the word of God like newborn babies crave milk and we, as a result, started to mature spiritually like we've never matured or grown before in our life? What if? What if? We hungered and thirsted after the word of God and the righteousness that we find there. And we started to mature spiritually and grow to be more like Jesus like no other time. What in our lives? What if? So, how will you live differently? Father, thank you for Jesus. He's all over 1 Peter. Thank you for the salvation that you've provided in and through Jesus Christ. Thank you that he rose from the dead. Thank you, Father, that you're in control. Thank you that you've given us the grace we need to live the way you've called us to live. God, if there are any here today who don't know Jesus... I pray that you'd stir their heart. I pray that your spirit would bring them to yourself, bring conviction of their sin, help them to realize that without Jesus Christ, they can't be right with you. They face an eternal hell one day. But you loved us so much, you sent Jesus to die. Thank you for that. And I pray that if there's any here who don't know Christ, they would right now, right here, before they leave this building, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us who know him to live differently by the grace of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.